We're going to continue with only three weeks, not including baptism week, with our great physician series. Uh, I really have loved every part of it. I loved hearing from Mike, the Lins. I loved hearing from Alex, everyone who got to add to this series and every part of it. It's been amazing. If you haven't heard them, you really do have to go back to the podcast and listen to them. They were phenomenal. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited to keep going. Sound okay? <clears throat> All right. So in 1995, there was a shooting at a burger restaurant. And while it was, you know, pretty, it was still pretty dark outside, I don't know why this burger restaurant was open until four in the morning, but it was. And so there was a shooting there, and the police were in hot pursuit of these suspects fleeing the scene. And after cornering the suspects, see if I can enunciate, um, one of the officers named Michael Cox ended up getting out of his vehicle to pursue them on foot. Meanwhile, another officer or uh, some other officers came to the scene from another area, and as Mr. Uh, Officer Cox was trying to follow the suspect, these police officers mistook uh, this officer as a suspect as well. So they ran after him, caught up to him, and began to beat him severely. And meanwhile, another cop was chasing the same suspect the original cop was chasing, and while he was running after him, he didn't even notice and just ran by the altercation between all the other officers. Um, and so whenever he was, uh, had to do a, his debrief after the whole incident, and he said, I just didn't see what was happening, he ended up being convicted of perjury and obstruction, obstructing justice. But he's, I mean, his claim was that I, just, I didn't see what, what was happening over here. So the whole case actually raised an interesting legal question. Could someone really not notice an assault like this taking place? So a study was kind of done to answer questions similar to this. Although they couldn't simulate a hot pursuit of some murderers, what they could simulate was the most important part of this, uh, this case, which was the officer and his focus on the suspect he was chasing. So in this experiment, they asked participants to run after an assistant, and while they were running after them as fast as they could, they needed to count how many times this suspect touched their hat. And 65% of them in the dark while doing this at night never noticed this staged fight they had at some point along this route where they were running. So it kind of like affirmed that this police officer really could have been so focused on his suspect that he could not have noticed or might not have noticed an altercation happening. Does that make sense? So this is, this is when you're so focused on something. What ended up happening was... This experiment led to discoveries in something called an inattention, what's it called? Um, it's inattentional blindness. There it is. Inattentional blindness. Not in, in, not in intentional, not unintentional, inattentional blindness. And this is when you're so focused on something that your brain will always help you register any oral or physical cues that it thinks is going to benefit what you're focusing on. Does that make sense? So your mind will often overlook all visual and oral information that it doesn't think is relevant to the object of your focus. See what I'm getting at so far? So that's why in reality, you can't really watch a movie and study at the same time. Your brain is focused on studying. The movie is not relevant to your studying. What really happens is you stop studying and you watch TV. That's how that really works, because neither of the two are related to the other, unless it's really for your homework. 
But usually, multitasking is taking your focus off one and giving it to another, one after the other and back and forth constantly. Does that make sense? So, our minds will always disregard information that we see or hear that does not add value to what we're thinking about or doing. So, when you're focused, other things don't often have the power to turn your attention away from the object you're focused on, when you're really focused on something. So, if you've ever done any sort of public speaking, class presentations, small group lessons, you kind of know what I'm talking about when you, for some reason, get this supernatural vision. You all of a sudden can notice everyone in the room who's not paying attention, everyone in the room who's halfway falling asleep, everyone in the room who's fake taking notes on their phone, but you can tell the difference. For some reason, you see it so much better when you're speaking. I don't know why, but you do. Um, and then the ones who are just straight up asleep, you always see them. They just, they're just there. Um, and this happens because people usually have something else on their mind. Their presentation, which is next, is on their mind. Their date later that night is on their mind. The, the drinking they can't wait to do later that weekend is on their mind. Their vacation they're going to go on is on their mind. The work they have to do, all the stuff they have to get done is on their mind. So they're not paying attention. Even in small groups, small group leaders and LTCers prepare something for everyone else. They pray over something. They pour themselves into something for everyone else's benefit. But few people take notes. Some people don't even listen sometimes. How come? Someone else is trying to give us the greatest gift we could ever have, which is Jesus himself. But why won't people listen? Because we just simply have other things on our minds. What they're doing is they're thinking about other things and we just don't have the power to turn the focus of their mind away from the thing they're already thinking about. See what I'm saying? Jesus actually dealt with this exact thing. Jesus knew how discouraging it was to see his words be completely disregarded, go in one ear and right out the other. Jesus knew what it was like to speak to people whose minds were focused on other things. Tonight is important for all of us because we are usually so focused on something that we often become blind to things of higher value. The Bible calls this problem coveting. Coveting in the Bible is simply put, selfishly grasping after something. It's your selfishly wanting, wanting and longing and grasping for something. Either you're just wanting it mentally or you're actually trying to get it physically. It's essentially you wanting to get something and store it up for yourself, storing up your own treasure. It's looking at something and saying, I want that. I want that thing that that person has because I don't have it. Or it's looking at something you have and you're saying, no, this is mine. You can't have this one. You can have other things, but this is mine. So a good example of this is Smeagol from the movie Lord of the Rings. He's the perfect example of this. Oh, man, you can't even really see it. It must be the lights. That's okay. But he looks at the ring that, he ha- that, that Frodo has and he says, I want that. And as a result, his mind is so focused on it that he misses out on the friendship with Frodo that he could have. And then when he does have the ring, his constant thing he says is, it's mine. And he's willing to die whatever kind of horrible death just to keep it. And then usually, yeah, that's what happens whenever 
We want something and don't get it. We want something our way and we don't get it. We want a situation to go our way and we don't get it. We want this, this interaction with this person to go this way, but they didn't say what I wanted them to say. So that's what we look like inside, sometimes outside, but we don't see it in ourselves, sadly. But, oh, look at that. He's ugly. Um, but yeah, so I think that we quite often selfishly grasp for things more often than we think. We essentially try to store up treasure for ourselves more than we think. And the result is always our focus coming off of God and on something that is extremely small. Someone gets a new phone. They get a new book. They get a new house. They get more money. And immediately we want more. We want it more than we ever have. Not because the thing in and of itself has become more valuable, but because someone has it. And we say, well, I want that too. So now we go on Google and we start searching, how much might that be? What does it cost to get a loan? How can I get a job with more money? How can I have that? Does that make sense? So this is when we store up the treasure of possessions. And I'm not going to be able to make a list of everything we could store up. But it can even be knowledge. Someone tells you something really cool that they've been reading. And all of a sudden you think, what? I didn't know that. I actually don't know anything about that. And in your head, you're like, I'm very uncomfortable that I know nothing about this and everyone else is learning it. So I'm going to go buy that book, watch that sermon, stop everything I'm currently reading just to read that. And not because the information or the knowledge itself is beautiful, but because you're mad that you don't have it and everyone else does. This is essentially us wanting to store up the treasure of knowledge for ourselves. Or the more common one and the more subtle one is when we go about our day, and like I said, a situation or an interaction or something about whatever's going on with your day, a plan you had, doesn't go the way you like. So you get upset and you think to yourself, well, I don't like this situation. I wish this were different. I wish this would be going a different way. And so essentially, we just always store up the treasure of our own preferences. And we want everything our way. So... That's what coveting is. You look at something you don't have, items, money, knowledge, uh, preferences, <clears throat> and your mind focuses on that thing, how you want it, how you could get it, and when you do get it, your thoughts are consumed with how you're going to keep it. So kind of like that, that often happens with relationships. We think about how we want it, how we're going to get it. When we have it, we grasp it for dear life, even if it's horrible for us. So... <clears throat> We can't control what other people buy or the knowledge that other people have or the situations around us, but we can control how we respond. Coveting or selfishly grasping for something is something that we choose to do, not something that someone else causes in us. And when we selfishly grasp for something and store up treasure for ourselves, our mind locks in on it. And it's almost impossible to get our minds off of that thing that you're grasping for. And as a result, we miss out on things. We miss out on the kingdom of God. We miss out on the beauty of community. We miss out on the inspiration of good conversation. And we miss out on the pleasure of seeing and being like Jesus in everything. I'm not saying that wanting knowledge, wanting marriage, and wanting other good things are bad. But it's when we try to store them up for ourselves that our mind becomes consumed with it. Whether it's for a short time or a long time. I'm not talking about the people that do this 
every day, all day. I'm talking about even in a moment, you can miss out on something beautiful because all of a sudden your mind's consumed with something you want for yourself. So let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, we need you. Lord, would you break our heart for sin? Would you help us see it like you do? May it not just be words, but may it be a force in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Lord, speak through me. We want to hear from you tonight. We want more of your heart, and we want to be more in love with you by the end of the night. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we can do one of two things when presented with things that we want. Because we all want things, and I think that's normal. We can either try to store it up for ourselves, store up treasure for ourselves, or we can pour out our riches towards God. I actually kind of have an example of both. I often have a problem with wanting to know everything. So I'm the guy who when someone tells me something really cool that I didn't read yet, I didn't know anything about, my thought is exactly what I mentioned. I say, oh man, I need to, I don't know anything about that. I didn't even know that was a thing. So I immediately buy the book. I immediately search the sermon. I immediately ask where their sources came from. Not because of the beauty of what they said, but because I'm mad that they know something that I don't. And so it's essentially me wanting to selfishly store up the treasury of knowledge that I have. I think outwardly, this attitude can easily come across as hungry for the truth. But in reality, the Lord showed me this week that it's just me selfishly grasping for knowledge, storing it up for myself. Another time, four years ago, I had a small group and I had a friend in it named Ian. And I loved Ian with all my heart. He was always talking about rock climbing and things about rock climbing I just didn't understand. And I really, really wanted him to love Jesus. So I was determined to love whatever he loved. So after watching the movie Point Break 15 times to get my my spirit up, I decided I would start going rock climbing with him so that we could hang out more. There's a difference between these two situations. In the first one, I wanted knowledge because I didn't have it not because it gave me Jesus. And the second one, I didn't want the, the knowledge of rock climbing because I didn't have it, but because it could give Ian more of Jesus if I was with him. One of them is storing up treasure for myself. The other one is getting riches so that I can pour them out towards God. Being rich towards God is having or getting something for the purpose of using it or pouring it out for God's glory and His, and his service. All right, so what we're going to do tonight is look at a few stories that are examples of people who both stored up treasures for themselves and people who were rich and poured it all out for Jesus. I think these stories are pertinent to all of us because we all have, currently are, or will probably have the temptation to be selfish and store up treasure for ourselves. Our first person is a man in the Bible with actually no name, but he's someone who selfishly grasped for something. And as a result, he was going to miss out on the kingdom of God because of it. So I'm going to invite Joey to come up here and read our scripture for the night. You can come on up. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, 
Watch out and be, a gu- be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Thank you. Man. Yeah, Joey. I love Joey. Sweet man. Um, all right. So Luke 12, 13 through 15. So what happened was this guy we obviously know has a brother. And the reason he's coming to Jesus is because his situation goes as follows. He had a dad. His dad married a woman. He didn't, the dad didn't like her very much. So he ended up getting a different wife that he did like a lot more. Sounds kind of similar to a lot of people nowadays. Sadly, it's not a joke. Um, but yeah, so he found another wife. He already had a kid with the first one. Had a kid with the second one. Actually, of course, loves the second wife more for whatever reason. But the law of Moses says that whenever a father in a situation like this dies, he cannot just give all of his inheritance to the son of the wife that he loves more. Does it make sense? He has to split it evenly between the two. And that didn't happen for this guy. So he's thinking to himself, I've been ripped off. I just got gypped. I got whatever adjective or verb you want to think of. And he's like, you know what? I know Jesus is this teacher of righteousness. If I can just get him on my side, I'll get him to tell my brother to give me my part of the land and all will be set right in the world. Does that make sense? So that's where we're at with this. And it seems pretty reasonable for the brother who has nothing to be upset and desire what is rightfully his. Right? That makes sense. But Jesus, knowing that this man has every right to be upset, all he says is this. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life, does his joy, does his rest, does his peace consist in his possession. Stop for a second. I hope, I hope that through one of the stories we don't have to learn after wasting decades of trying to get much. I hope we don't have to waste that time before we realize that our life, our peace, our joy, our meaning will not come from the vacations we go on, the places we see, the things we have, the money we get to spend whenever we like, or the house or whatever, the family we want. None of it will ever give us any of that. So I hope we don't have to learn that the hard way. So, Jesus is essentially looking at this man, and he's saying that he is selfishly grasping at this land, that he's coveting this land. But this land is his. So this is a little odd. Jesus, but Jesus was just preaching to, some, to the crowds, and he was saying, he was talking about how he'll acknowledge them to the Father if they will acknowledge him to men in front of them. Does that make sense? And then he starts talking about how, uh, oh, how much God values the people that he loves. And then he starts talking about how the Holy Spirit is going to teach you everything you need. But this guy, kind of like, I see this happen sometimes. The kingdom of God was being offered to all these people. But this man didn't care because his mind was so consumed with this thing that he didn't have. The kingdom of God was being offered. Truth was being spoken. And his only concern was this land that he didn't have. I hope that doesn't sound like us in small group or on a Thursday night, that the kingdom of God is being offered, the the truth is being spoken, but we're just so concerned about this thing we don't have, the grades we want to have, the homework we should have done responsibly but didn't, so now 
we're worried about it. Does that make sense? Pretty much what this man is saying is, why should it matter to me if you confess me before angels or that the Holy Spirit is going to teach me? What I want is my share of my father's possessions and inheritance. And the rabbi who is going to help me get these things, that's the rabbi for me. Our minds can only focus on one thing at a time. And this man was focusing on the land and not on the kingdom. The land itself, the thing, wasn't the problem. His focus was. That's what coveting does. It keeps your focus on a thing, on knowledge, on, a, on some person or on some situation that you want. And it keeps you blind to the beauty of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> In John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, there was a man known as the man with the muck rake. He was a man who could look no way but downward with the muck rake in his hand. He was offered a celestial crown in exchange for his rake, but he would neither look up nor regard the crown that he was offered. But instead, he continued to rake to himself all the filth that was on the floor. This man is the picture of us today. We get so consumed with a thing, so consumed with a relationship, so consumed with knowledge or our preference of how we want the world to work that we cannot look upwards and see the beauty of Jesus. When our eyes are focused on ourselves and our wants, then they're in the muck and we cannot see the celestial crown offered to us in exchange for our rake. This doesn't just mean people focused on self and things all the time. This is also momentary. This, doesn't, this isn't the, the person who's far on this side. Does this all the time. This, is, this can happen in a moment. And you lose out. This is the small group night. Are we going to have our eyes on heaven? Or our eyes in the muck? This happens tonight. Are our, are our eyes on heaven right now? Or are they in the muck? Of all these small things. This man's life, the one we just read about, asks us one question. Will we keep our head down to the muck and worldly things? Or will we look up and see this celestial crown that Jesus has offered to us? <clears throat> all right, all right, all right. So what about these other people I talked about? These other stories. We've got this no-name man, but who is that? There's these other people. <clears throat> There's another man named William Borden. William Whiting Borden. He's one of my favorite non-Bible stories in the whole world. William Borden was the heir to a million dollar fortune. Millions and millions of dollars. To show you kind of how rich his family was when he graduated in 1904, his parents sent him around the world on a trip as a graduation present to travel the world for probably the whole summer. Right here. William Borden could have stored up the treasure of experiences for himself and just chose to be a world traveler his whole life. But instead, while traveling, his heart broke for all the people that he saw. He sent a letter back to his friend saying, I desire to be a missionary. And his friend sent a letter back saying, why would you waste yourself away on that? Why would you waste your riches away? And again, he had the opportunity to store up the treasure of his money and the approval of his friends and he could have said, you know what, yeah, you're right. Like, I could get a way better job than be a missionary, make a lot of money, still do all this stuff, and like have the approval of his friends. But 
In response to this, William Borden wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. I have nothing to go back to. He started going to school at Yale University in 1905 and had every opportunity for a great job and to store up the treasure of a career for himself. But he didn't. Going to Yale, he could have stored up the treasure of education. And he could have said this, I'm too busy to do this Jesus thing. I'm too busy to lead a small group. I just can't do it. I'm at Yale University. But by his senior year, 1,000 out of 1,300 students were in a small group to learn the Bible and pray together because of him. When he graduated in 1909, he was offered many high-paying jobs and he could have stored up the treasure of money and stability that a lot of us want. But he turned them all down to be a missionary and in his Bible he wrote, no retreats. In 1912, he sailed for Egypt to learn Arabic because he had a heart and a desire to bring the Muslims in China to meet Jesus. And so he stopped in, in, uh, in Egypt. And within his first year there, he contracted spiral meningitis. And within a month of contracting it, at 25 years old, he died. He could have stored up the treasure of his health by not becoming a missionary, by staying with all the money he had to get all the medical attention he wanted. But before he died, he wrote one last thing in his Bible, and it was no regrets. William Borden had every opportunity to store up treasures in this world for himself. He had every opportunity to want something so bad or so often that it would take his eyes away from Jesus, but nothing ever did. Everything we long to have the option to choose, he had the option to choose and still chose Jesus because he really is more valuable. Another man named John Hyde was a missionary to India. He was known as the Apostle to Prayer. He would pray so long and so hard, weeping for people, the people of India and having such brokenness over their spiritual darkness that they lived in that one day while he was preaching, he fainted. And when he woke up, the doctor told him, I don't know what you've been doing to be under such stress, but it has been so bad that your heart has physically moved from its original rightful place in the left side of your chest over to the right almost. You have to stop whatever it is you're doing or you're going to have to pay for it with your life. And John Hyde said to his friend, so I'm either supposed to stop praying or I'm supposed to die. I refuse to stop praying. John Hyde could have stored up the treasure of his health, but he didn't. Focusing on the health of his heart over prayer was never an option in his mind. Jesus himself had every opportunity to store up treasure for himself. He could have had all the money in the world given to him if he would just reveal the power, his power, the way people wanted him to. He could have had any amount of approval and praise that so many people want to be famous. Some situations didn't even go the way that he wanted them to. He told his disciples so many times that I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. On the third day, I'm going to be resurrected. And when he was resurrected and came out of the tomb, he was alone. There was no one there to greet him. There was no one there cheering for his arrival because no one actually believed him. But he didn't focus on why it should have gone differently or how he wishes his friends would have been there. The Father was glorified, and that was all that mattered to him. 
As long as he could love God and make him famous, nothing else mattered. William Borden wasn't worried about storing up treasure for himself, but instead he poured it all out for Jesus, even to his death. John Hyde wasn't worried about storing up the treasure of physical health for himself, but he poured it all out for Jesus, even unto death. And Jesus wasn't worried about storing up the approval of anyone in this room or anyone back in his time, but he poured himself out for the glory of God, even unto death on a cross. Now the question is, will we continue to lay up small or big treasures for ourselves? Or will we be poured out, even if it meant death? Justin, you can head back up here. <clears throat> None of these people allowed the earthly muck to keep their eyes off heaven. I think that we all genuinely have something. We know we've been focused on and not Jesus. Something that has easily taken our mind away from him. Something that we have selfishly reached for constantly. Something that we have considered, I just, I, I can't do this Jesus thing. I can't do this thing. Or, I can't be with him because of this. These things that I'm grasping for that make my focus shift from him to something else of smaller and lesser value. Although we obviously don't see it that way. I really, with all my heart, think it's time to lay that down. It's hard because out of everything, he said, be on guard. Be extremely aware. Be as aware as possible. Be on guard. Be watchful not to be greedy over anything because Jesus knows how subtle it is. I don't want to be like the man with the muck rate. Can you go back to that? <clears throat> I hope that I hope that you see the irony of how bad that looks to uh, to be offered something so beautiful but to be focused on something so ugly. To the world it's not ugly. To everyone else who's looking at the ground but isn't looking up it doesn't make sense that you call it ugly. Why are you calling my relationship ugly? Why are you calling my desire for knowledge ugly? What about my school? Why, is it, why are you saying that's ugly? Because it's not nearly as beautiful as Jesus. He promised that if you would try as hard as possible to run after him, if you would try as hard as possible to find him, not because he's lost, but because we are that if you would seek Him with all of your heart, with every part of you, that you would just try, that you would find Him in a real, real way, that you would finally see that it's just worth so little. Like, the fame of being in front of people, the fame of speaking in front of thousands, like, at one point, they, they consume me, you know? It's like this thing you want sometimes to be, like, mini-famous. I don't know, like, everyone wants to speak. And then, you, and then you have what you longed for and it's just so little. Nothing compares to having Jesus or to seeing other people fall in love with him for the first time. So, if we're not going to store up treasure,
treasure for ourselves, store up our relationship for ourselves, store up our school for ourselves, store up our money for ourselves, store up our preferences for ourselves. We just have to freely give them away. We have to say, Lord, you can use my school. I'll win souls for you now. You can use my money. Lord, I know you know that I need to be responsible, but everything outside of what I need, I will give away down to the last penny. I don't need my preferences. I don't need someone to say hi to me. I'll go say hi to everyone else. I don't need someone to want to see me. I'll just want to see everyone else instead. If we just trust in God, if we know that our preferences will never be as good as God's preferences, then we'll be fine when we don't get them. If we trust that our wants will never be as beneficial for us as what God wants, then we'll be fine when we don't get them. If we trust... If we really do trust that Jesus is greater than any want, any preference, any amount of knowledge or any person we ever wanted to date, then we'll be fine if we never have any of them. I was outside before this and I, uh, the Lord brought my mind back to how I actually have more problems now that I know more. <laughs> I was more confident in helping people love Jesus when I knew less. For some reason, knowing more hasn't helped me. So this desire for knowledge, I love it, but I, I don't think that wins people to Jesus. I think he does. So that was my thing. So tonight... We're going to all have the opportunity, staff and student, because this is not confined to, to anyone just sitting down. This, is, this includes me, to repent of where our focus has been instead of him. And for us to repent from storing up things for ourselves, thinking about our career for ourselves, instead of pouring it out for Jesus. So we do an altar call every night so that we always have time to be with Jesus, so that we don't just leave here and never think about this again. So that whatever the Holy Spirit is showing you, you can pour it out to Him now. Even if you don't feel it. You don't feel anything. So, I want us to get alone with Jesus and just talk with Him and repent of these things. Even if you're, you're not crying over it, even if like, but you just know, you're like, this isn't right. This is off. This is, that doesn't sound like me. I'm not like that. I'm not this ideal so I'm going to pray, and then Justin will play one song, and then we'll, uh, we'll see what the Lord does, and then we'll get out of here. <clears throat> Jesus, words cannot open eyes. Words cannot heal from, from blindness. Words cannot help people hear who have never heard. Words cannot help people see color if it's always been black and white. You know more than me that you need to be here. May no one leave this room without knowing your presence, without knowing that you were here, without feeling your loving touch, your conviction of sin, your conviction of coveting, your conviction of a focus on things other than you. Not even because you're selfish, but because you just know it's better for us than everything else. Holy Spirit, as students and friends, stand up in boldness for you, not caring what friends think. Would you meet them here? 
would you meet them here? Would you meet them at home? Would you meet them when they call for you? Would you fulfill your promise that they will find you if they would just try? We love you, Jesus. You are the best thing that has ever happened to us. And I pray that more people would finally see them. In Jesus' name, amen.